podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello and welcome to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every single week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. And typically with me is my fellow co-host, Reed Lackey. And guys, Reed was here, but he said he needed to go play the hiding game. That sounds fun. I don't know. Maybe go find him. Um, while we wait on Reed, which will never not be a mouthful, while we wait on Reed, permit me to remind you listeners that here at The Fear of God, we explore. We don't explain, except for right now when I explain that you can find all things foggy at thefearofgodpodcast.com, things such as, and especially how to support us on Patreon. More on that momentarily, because who is emerging from the fog but the one, the only, Reed <laughs> Lackey! Reed didn't do it. Reed didn't do it. Oh. What? Is that not good? Uh, no. That's too no? Soon. Too soon? Oh, yeah. yeah. He's so sad. It's so sad. <laughs> uh, yeah, you just, I was trying to start us on a high note, and you're like, this uh, one many many things you can say about this movie high notes are not one of them although that's debatable but it's it's heavy it's a heavy film so there's not many points well, Reed, of life, before you, it's awesome before you jump in the grain silo uh uh <laughs> we have some quick business to attend to okay before we get to okay. the main discussion one Indeed. if listeners are finding us for the first time today welcome uh, I think it's impressive you found us at, uh, when we're talking about a 1981 made-for-television movie. But hey, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> know that you've caught us amidst a couple of one-off episodes before our big, scary season series begins. Mm-hmm. Last week, we scamped around Stakeland with continuity guru Stephen Beckley. This week, we'll be checking the mail with 1981's Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Today's conversation will also feature a patron-only segment, this time a round of... Stump Read! (laughs) That's right, a Stump Read segment. Stump Reads are attempts by yours truly to perplex the Fog's main know-it-all, Dr. Riedenstein. The second order of business today, and the means by which you get to enjoy segments such as... Stump Read! is to join Patreon. It is a great way to show your love for your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear and nets you bonuses like extra content every single episode. And it also gets you in on exclusive bonus events like Happy Hour Horror Hangout. Reed, (laughs) Happy Hour Horror Hangout is this weekend. That's crazy. Yeah, that's wild. By the time this 
recording releases that I put it on the family calendar and my wife won't get mad at me for it not being there yet. <laughs> I don't know that though. So <laughs> understood. Understood. The struggle is real. Um, the struggle is real. It is. Uh, happy hour horror hangouts are unique every couple months events for patrons. Let your hair down style live Zoom sessions with your fogger pals would catch up, share a laugh, share a story, share some life together. Mm-hmm. The next happy hour horror hangout, which again, you can attend this Sunday, 2 p.m., September 17th. <laughs> okay. You can attend. Just go join Patreon at the lowest tier and, uh, and you're in. You'll get an invite. So I'm excited to see everybody. That's that, like- dear lackey, is enough business for now. I hope you're ready. Because you're about to get stumped. I probably After will be. After that, we will be right back. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So about this movie, I was so nervous. Okay, what were you nervous about? Oh, about Stump Reed? Yeah, I was. I was. We'll make the patrons. We just played a fun patron segment of Stump Reed, and not only did uh, Reed succeed, (laughs) uh, (laughs) we you also we also had the debut of the first ever uh, uh, intro jingle for Stump Reed. That was fun. That was fun. Skin of my teeth, and I made it. But there it was. Um, man. Hi, Nathan. So, uh, hey, last week we featured Mr. Stephen Beckley back on the show, uh, recurring guest, fog continuity guru. Uh, Steve, thank you again for recommending Stakeland to us, which is a film I was far more pleased than I expected to be, to be able to revisit. Um, but, uh, in addition to, uh, fog of wieners, which we've been sort of parsing out throughout the year, we also ha- implemented something this year that was, uh, I- I'm just going to say it was a gimme. You, as my friend, just gave me this you know, gift, as it were. Um, basically, we also periodically will have uh, what we're calling the lackey leftovers, which are just one-offs, individual films that have some degree of significance to me um, that we get to talk about. They don't really fit neatly or cleanly into one of our series that we do. So uh, we just toss them in there when we need a week to fill, uh, which we did uh, for the scheduling with this upcoming uh, run through Spooky Season, which, by the way, we didn't mention it in business. Should we mention it now before we dive in? Well, And then we'll remind them at the end. I mean, we can at the end. Yeah, okay, we will at the end. So Spooky Season coming up, we programmed that out, and we had one week left so i said hey can we do a lackey leftover and can we do dark knight of the scarecrow um okay so i am very curious so i have i have something of a history with this film that i'll share as briefly as i can but i am curious nathan uh i believe i had mentioned this movie to you before so i'm not going to ask if you'd heard of it before but did you know anything about it going in uh before you saw it so uh, I'm going to preempt the answer to that question a little bit just by reading okay. the IMDb uh, Ooh, single good. sentence uh, summary here that of Dark Knight of the Scarecrow just says in a small southern town four vigilantes wrongfully execute a mentally challenged man. But after the court sets them free, mysterious accidents begin to kill them off one by one accidents uh, for the listener is in quotation marks on the IMDb mm. write up, um, you know. Mm. 
it would be fair to say had I heard of the movie uh, because uh, you know I listened to about you know twenty percent of what you say, but um, <laughs> I was definitely not familiar with it. Okay, and uh, yeah, is that what you asked? Was I familiar with it? Yeah, uh, was I aware yeah, of it? Were you, what was your question? Yeah, say it again. Yes, basically, were you familiar with it at all going into it? No, no, and the answer is no. Um, <laughs> what did you? You did, did not you, stump Nathan. With no, that I did not. Okay, all right. Winner. <laughs> um, did you? <laughs> so, what did you think? Give me the give me the uh, lowdown. Well, you know, one day I'll learn to remember that I trust you. Do you like how I constructed that <laughs> sentence? <laughs> I do. I do. I get that. Okay. Yes. I'll learn yes. to remember that I trust you, not because I thought, oh boy, here's another no, laggy leftover. But just, you know, you never know. It's like Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, 1981, made for TV. It was like, made for uh, TV, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, Sweet. whatever. Yeah. Is, this a, is this an earnest, scared, stupid? Is this a, you know, what <laughs> what exactly are we getting into here? Um, yeah. So I'll I'll kind of cut to the chase and just be real direct with you. I loved it. Uh, I think oh, it's I'm pretty, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's production value is clearly dated, but the the and actually what i don't mean is it's bad to look at i just mean it's pretty simplistic in its yeah. production value very um, simple yeah uh but that notwithstanding i mean i think 30 years from now you could show this movie again and it's it's oh, it's awesome it's you know kind of the the morality tale aspect of it kind of reverberates uh regardless of resonates reverberates down the line regardless of when it came out so no i thought it was fantastic actually oh that that heartens me so much i knew there was a good chance you would like it it is so i think for people who watch what we watch on a regular basis this film is so in my opinion solidly constructed and just you use the word simple um it is just very uh direct and i think that's to its uh merit i think it's very very uh, if it had tried to be flashier if it had tried to be more sort of um sensational i think it wouldn't have worked as well as it does but for me i think it is still i mean because this movie is right now 42 years old and the fact that it still can kind of deliver some shivers the fact that it still can deliver its tail with a really compelling sort of motif i i i'm just continually impressed by this film it is so now i'll get into some of my history with it um before i get into how culture feels about this movie i'll I will share my story. This was one of the very, very early scary movies that I ever saw. I do not remember when I saw it. It aired in 1981. I would have definitively been too young to remember watching it then. But here's the, here's the weird Twilight zone part of this. Um, depending on where you go on the internet to look and see the history of this film, there are strains of thought that believe that the that it aired on CBS in 1981 and then basically sat in limbo for like 30 years before Warner Brothers released like a VHS of it. And then from there, it finally got a widespread sort of re-release and went on to DVD and made it onto several streaming platforms. And now it's a lot more accessible and a lot more available to people. But the part where I live in a kind of a twilight zone space is I could not confirm that CBS re-aired this 
at any point that I would have been old enough to see it, but young enough to register being a really young kid when I watched this. So my memory of it is maybe fuzzy. Here's what I remember of it. I remember being young. This would have been post-psycho. So by my memory, I'm probably seven or eight. But I remember seeing it on TV. I remember that it came on television And I remember watching it as it was on TV and just being absolutely blown away by it. I thought it was really incredible. I mean, my young mind, I was like, what in the world? This is is a fantastic story. Uh, We can get into some specifics in just a little bit, but the ending really blew my mind. Um, Not not only the culmination of the story, but the final, final shot, the final uh, imagery. so just really blew me away. I thought this is a really incredible film. Stayed with me for a really long time. And I, when I became an adult and even an older teen, was looking for, like with the advent of DVD, with the popularity of that as a format, I was looking. There were like three films on my radar that I had seen as a kid that I badly wanted to find a, a, a movie copy of. And Dark Knight of the Scarecrow was one of them. If you're really curious, I'll tell you the other two, but it's not relevant to this conversation. So um, I was trying to find a copy of Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Didn't find it until I was like, I can't remember. I was in, I was probably in my 20s um, and finally saw it was going to be released on DVD. Snagged that thing up so fast. Um, and I love sharing it with people and I love showing it to people. Um, it's a film that I still regard incredibly highly. Um, we can get into all the specifics about that in just a little bit, but culturally speaking, I think this was something in the patron segment you wanted me to hold off on. I don't know if you have a lead in or have certain questions about this, but culturally speaking, it is regarded as if, if it's not number one, it is regarded as easily in the top five greatest made for TV horror films ever. And, and culture hmm. pretty much agrees about that. If, if they don't consider it the best, they will, you know, pretty much any random list of best made-for-TV horror films. Dark Knight of the Scarecrow is going to be in the top five. Um, people who have seen it and know about it are I like, love, this is amazing. This is film. me just just poking the lackey a little bit. I love when you <laughs> just, make statements that are just so, like, exhaustively conclusive. Like, culture says, like, it's a real unified, <laughs> like, sort of thing. It's like, okay. <laughs> I know. Well, I don't Bible know. Says, I don't... Bible says... Bible says it. I believe it. I know. know? Listen, Blackie I don't know it. how else to define they, the ubiqu- you know, the ubiquitous sure. they. I don't yeah. know how else to define yeah. that. So that's why uh, it's well, culture. Actually, what I thought I was uh, uh, staunching you following during the patron segment was I thought you were about to uh, uh, state the Pee Wee's Big Adventure connection. And I was oh, like, oh, man. It. Oh, yeah. Mm, that's what mm, I thought you gotcha. were saying. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, no, 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 no. Um, well, let me ask you. Yeah. So I did not do uh, extraneous digging here, but there's a sequel. Is it any good? There's a sequel. Sequel's pretty not. recent, yeah. and uh, to be completely candid, I have not even attempted the sequel. And and maybe at some point in my life, I will check it out and see what it's like. But I have not seen the sequel. Um, have had minimal interest in seeing it simply because a it was made so long after this one. B its IMDb rating is in the basement. And so I'm like, well, okay, that doesn't, it doesn't bode well for me getting a lot of enjoyment out of it, especially with the, with the love that I have for the original. So, um, so yeah. And I also don't hear a lot of defenders of it. I don't see, um, you know, in and around the internet corners, people going like, Oh my God, right. (laughs) The the underrated dark Knight of the scarecrow too. You know, like I just, I don't, Booty Dunn did it again. You know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow! Wow! 
Put it on. Did well, it again. <laughs> um, <laughs> dang it! I was gonna. Oh, you. You know, you you like to hit and run here. Like, what oh. would be in the other top five made for TV scaries? Oh, that's interesting. Um, well, a couple that come to mind immediately is people talk often about. Starring Darren McGavin, the Night Stalker from the seventies, nineteen seventy four. Uh, people talk about that one a lot, um, and I agree. I love but it. But is that a is that a series or is it a film? It began as a standalone made for TV movie. Oh, okay. Was so popular it then they then made a sequel to it That's called Kolchak. The Night Strangler. And then yes, Kolchak. Uh, they made the Night Stalker standalone. Then they made the Night Strangler. It also did very well. Not quite as well as Stalker, but also did very well. So then they did a season. They wanted to send it to television. Kind of a Monster of the Week type show. I love it, and it is insanely influential. You'll hear tons of current... Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Talk about uh, the influence that Kolchak the Night Stalker had on it. But that having been said, it really, that one season did not bode well. It kind of got canceled after that one season. Um, but, but you uh, like the season or you're just referring to the, I do. the feature? No, no. Yeah. I, I like everything about cold check. I understand why after one season, it kind of got canceled. It is a bit repetitive and kind of only hinges on the personality of Darren McGavin, which is really wonderful, but that's, that's kind of all it has going for it. Well, I should, that's dismissive and reductive, but I'll just say I, I, while having a lot of affection for that season of television, understand why it didn't really connect the same way that a shorter briefer standalone uh of this motif uh worked uh the other one that i will toss out there that well that, that would off- i mean you know i'm sorry to cut you off but yep. speaking of night soccer I, th- I think i think that one of the at least to my knowledge of the days of culture mm-hmm. one of the favorite episodes of those correct me if i'm wrong but i think it's the one with the wild dogs. I think it's called the Bumpuses. Is that? Wow. Well, no, that's not it. That's not it. No, 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 no. Um, you, it, that, that is, Come on. uh, that's a no, funny no, no. Darren McGavin joke. It is. It's a really funny, but that okay. episode is actually called the major award. That's, that's the, <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and when, in which he, he's chasing the wild dogs, he goes, Bumpuses. Yes. Bumpuses. Sounds like he's wheezing it. Um, but, uh, uh, no, that's okay. I, I mean, I I don't know what would definitively round out the top five, but also making the list in addition to Night Stalker and Dark Knight of the Scarecrow would probably be a film that I believe Dan Curtis directed called Trilogy of Terror. Um, and uh, that one I remember seeing some years ago, but it's been quite a long time since I saw it. It's really effective. It's an anthology film. Three short stories um, c- loosely tied together, but all performed by the same leading actress. Karen Black is in each of the three vignettes, though the vignettes themselves are completely separated from one another. Um, hmm. But uh, yeah, Trilogy of Terror, uh, The Night Stalker, and Dark Knight of the Scarecrow are the three that I could confidently say are in the conversation. There's probably several others hmm. I'm forgetting. All but, right. Um, but, well, uh, yeah. you, know, you know, we are today talking about Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Um, That's right. So You know what? Reed. No, you go ahead. I have something I want to squeeze in there, but I don't know when we'll, well be the tell opportunity me. to do, do it. Do it. I was so, being jokey with you. What were you going to squeeze in? Oh, um, so the the couple of bits of of trivial information that I find impressive about this, um, it was originally conceived. So when the screenwriter wrote it, um, I always forget his name. You should ask me that question. I would have forgotten it. Something like you know the writer, um, Fiegelson, uh, J D. Fiegelson. When he wrote 
the script, he intended it as a major theatrical release. He wanted it to be in films um, or in, you know, in cinemas. And he shared the screenplay with none other than Ray Bradbury. And huh. to my shock, Ray Bradbury, I have to credit um, Joe Bob Briggs for this information because he's where I first heard about this. I did not hear it elsewhere. Um, apparently, Ray Bradbury read the screenplay and then gave it back to Fiegelson with tons of like red lines, just cut this scene, kill this, bad, 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 just tons of it, right? So Fiegelson went back, rewrote it, gave it back to Bradbury, and apparently Bradbury did it the same way. He sent it back to him. And basically, so Bradbury was a de facto editor on the screenplay for this film, uh, uncredited, of course. But then uh, finally, after I believe it was either the eighth or ninth draft, Bradbury sent him back the copy of the script. It was like the eighth or ninth draft, and he sent it back with only one red line on it that said, now you're finished. And mm. that was it. And that's what he then went and shopped around to try to get studios interested. Studios weren't that interested. Uh, they didn't really see the the marketing appeal. They didn't think it would you know work very well. But its ability to be made very economically was appealing to the folks over at CBS. So they wanted to make it a movie of the week, which is why it made its way to television. Um, so they made it a CBS movie of the week. And it's it's really just amazing to me the also the the cast that they have in this. Um, not a lot of known commodities to like 2023 audiences, but almost a, a who's who uh, of character actors and strong performers from like all going all the way back to the 40s and who would have careers on into the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, most notably, Charles Durning, of course, in the lead. But uh, it, it's just. It's really incredible. I'm. I would heap. I recognize tons Lane of, Smith. Yeah, Lane Smith. Uh, most people know him as Perry White from Lois and Clark, but uh, he's been around doing a bunch of different stuff. I yeah, I love Lane Smith. Actually, one of my favorites in it is um, uh, his name is Claude Earl Jones. He he plays mm -hmm. the the he's heavier great. guy, and he's he's one of my. If I'm just taking individual performances that stand out to me, I love his performance. I just love some of the choices he makes when he panics, he doesn't yell, he whispers. And I think that's brilliant because it really adds some tension to the moment. He doesn't, he, you know, he does raise his voice from time to time, but when he's trying to be assertive and he's really getting panicky, he whispers. And I'm just like, I thought, I thought that was such a brilliant choice. It's a little subtle things like that. that I'm like, that's really great. It adds some believability to it. Had you, so you said you didn't do any extra reading. Do you know who uh, mama Ritter is? Do you know who, uh, if if you happened to catch the name, you would have a big hint um, of who she is. I don't think so. The actress' yeah. name. So uh, the actress' name is Jocelyn Brando, and she is in fact the older sister mm. of the Marlon Brando. Um, and uh, it was really interesting because I guess there were some in her heyday. Uh, apparently, this this is kind of sad to note. Apparently, off screen, she did have a drinking problem. Is is the the uh, rumor? And there are some who said that had that not held her back, she might have been as legendary as her younger brother in terms of just she her talent. She could have been a contender. Her, she could have been a contender. That's, I see what you did there. I got that reference. Um, <laughs> so, um, so anyway, but uh, that's that's a lot of the you know interior behind-the-scenes stuff. I had to throw the, the Ray Bradbury love in there because I just thought that was that was really exceptional. But um, Well, I would not have yeah. known... So um, I would not have known anything about the Bradbury note, but that actually does... 
So I, you know, there, there's, there's a world where we could, you know, walk through just kind of the likes, dislikes aspect of this. There's a lot that would hit that, but sure. if I'm just, if I'm highlighting one thing that actually, I wonder if Bradbury had an influence in now that you mentioned that is more than just, it's more than just the film's kind of smart. Um, no, more than just the film's kind of, uh, deft moralism. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think from a construction standpoint, uh, it's, it was very impressive and I'll cut to the chase here. I love that there is not a physical bogeyman scarecrow haunting these people like that. Once that starts to materialize, I was like, okay, this is smart. Mm -hmm. And, letting because you know this is what i meant jokingly earlier about i should remember to learn to trust read is like you know you hear (laughs) dark knight of the scarecrow and the the cover art is very sure kind of boogeyman mythic kind of creature of the night and so and then once they you know kind of take out bubba okay this is what's going to be the trajectory here he's going to haunt them and the fact that it never actually you know there there's of course um paranormal goings on but there's no sure, physical visual manifestation of an entity plaguing them. And and I thought that was yes. such a arguably brilliant uh, mm-hmm. kind of story construction choice and presentation choice. And, and anyway, so when you said the Bradbury thing, I was like, I, I would believe that the back and forth would have been about something like that. Yeah. Uh, that's that, a good that point. Earlier, earlier draft might've been more just um, traditional and it's, yeah. you know, kind of monster presentation. No, and and you've just struck on something that I find. So to be completely candid, little peek behind the curtain. When I watched this film uh, to prepare for this conversation, I watched it with my son. Again, my, as Fog listeners know now, he's starting to get into scary movies. And um, my my statement, yes, ending you is: I think it makes it scarier. I think it makes yeah. it creepier that you don't see a big, you know, ki- kind of version of a costumed guy coming and haunting them instead it does two things really effectively number one i think it it not only makes all of their little hauntings and goings on creepier uh and i'll get back to my son in a second but also um i think it adds an interesting layer of well what is really happening and not like like to your point there's paranormal goings on and i don't think especially by the end i don't I think the film answers it. It doesn't leave it ambiguous, but through the run of the of the whole narrative, I think it, it's you have enough to hang your hat on to say like, well, wait, is it somebody who knows what they did and is haunting them? Is it the ghost of Bubba? Is it you know well, what what because, is really happening? Are they freaking themselves out? You know, get to your um, get to your kid story because I, I feel like I would have oh, thought that no, no, it's okay. It, it freaked him out too much. He had to, he had to pause oh. viewing. He had to pause, and and to my note about it being creepier, he had to pause viewing. He said, "I, I think I'm getting too scared." He he did wind up going back and finishing the film the next morning when it was brighter and daylight and everything like that. But he was getting too creeped out. Um. Anyway, yes. Well, I think the um, ideological brilliance of the piece is when you when you decenter the victim, mm-hmm. the moral sort of question isn't let's watch someone seek vengeance for what was done to them. Mm -hmm. It then becomes 
what have we done to ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a a far heavier and, and frankly, more interesting. Yes, I agree. Sort of. And that's why to me, like you just said a minute ago, by the end of the movie, they sort of answered the question. I don't care. Like you could tell me, you could tell me that that wasn't that, that, that the literalizing of the scarecrow at the literal end is just a metaphor. And I'd be like, that's fine. Cause it doesn't matter. You know, yes, like, yes. I, I like it because it's a creepy image and sort of serves mm-hmm. the overall function. And, you know, especially the way it ropes in what's her face, uh, Merrily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I like it. I think I think it it's a great button, but sure, I could also live um, what I'm not saying. If you remove it, it's fine. What I am saying is, is it real? I don't care. It, 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 right. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't under it doesn't undercut the intention of the piece at all. Absolutely. And and that's why I think. It is so, you, you know, you used the term brilliant earlier, like I, that I wholeheartedly agree. I think that's part of why it has such staying power is that it does um, leave those questions sort of under the entire thematic interests of the piece um, in such a way that it does, you know, it, um, it it doesn't feel the need to connect all the dots for you it, and, and lets you as the audience member kind of decide, well, what what is it? What isn't it? And I love the way that they played with it through the remainder of the film. Like beforehand, when you get there, it's just freaking chilling moments to me. Um, I don't know if they would count for That Ain't Right, but if you have any other things to share, we can maybe go into That Ain't Right and I'll rope it all in together, unless you have some more sort of didactic, trivial things to Um, finish before we do. I mean, I just... (laughs) Like... (laughs) <laughs> if we're going to be, if we're going to operate at the surface, let's do it right here. Like I couldn't, I, I kind of love it for it's like, you know, utility, but I, yeah. I just yeah. was blown away by Karen, the mailman's constant wardrobe being his USPS yes. outfit. Like I was like, <laughs> yes. wow, we're in out of the barn in the middle of the night, uh, at night in the field, at night in the graveyard at night, breaking yes. in the, like, my man does not change clothes. Now, nope. to be fair, probably the same thing as with the others. You got, um, you know, gas guy. Uh, uh, what's his face? Skeeter. Skeeter. He wears his hat yeah. all the time. Yeah. So th- they all have some uh, a uniform of a sort. But yeah, when right, something right, right. as specific as the USPS outfit, I'm like, he does not. It's <laughs> He's always in it. Rain or shine. That's it. That man That's always it. shows up in his outfit. Murdering oh, some my folk, God. You know? Yeah. Um, oh my I was, God. and, and I love Reed. I wish I don't actually wish this for you maybe because we've got enough history and simpatico here that, mm-hmm. that, that this, uh, would only be weird in the doing of, I wish you could crawl inside my brain sometimes when I turn on these movies initially and I'm, I'm just letting it wash <laughs> over me. Uh, because yeah, I was okay. like, my literal first lo- note is what is up with the spying mailman? Uh, like <laughs> my man just carries binoculars <laughs> with him because right. Like, and yeah, he's yeah, just yeah. like, hey, let's kill the handicapped kid. Like, huh? <laughs> this <laughs> right. Yes. This escalated yes. quickly, you know? <laughs> very quickly. Oh, very quickly. No doubt. No doubt. Um, yes. I, I, to the point that when I don't remember who all is in the scene, but when at least uh, an assemblage of the other dudes come to get him from the post office, sure. trips me out. This is what I talk about. The simplicity of the production is okay. yeah. he closes he, he closes the post office window. 
opens the only drawer he has, and the only thing in it is his gun. I was like, ah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. This does not seem okay for a federal building. <laughs> you know. Oh, my God. Um, yes. So, yes, yeah, yes. I just, I, it just tripped me out. Just old Hazel Rig, man. He is, he is committed to his vocation mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to his bloodlust. Um, oh, my God. Yes. It's, uh, it's really insane, actually, that, um, well, and to that end, I think the, the, the narrative, and again, this was made for television, so they couldn't go too far. Right. But I think they bake in some explanations and understanding of why he might be like that. They allude to the fact that maybe there's some jealousy that he had, uh, and, and that maybe he has, you know, that in one exchange with Mama Ritter, it, it outright states, that he's got nefarious intentions for the little girl. And so they paint this picture of him being like, just that he's just a really, really bad dude. (laughs) Yes. But that he's just a really bad dude uh, through and through. And fascinatingly has kind of poisoned the minds of his three, you know, cohorts um, to the degree that even when they become very conflicted, about their their presence here um he has to either convince them otherwise or get them out of the way um yeah he's a he's a proper villain in this movie it's it's really quite he, oh yeah yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. See, and, it's awful and, and, he, and, it's awful what he does and you kind of are impressed with how hard the piece commits to that um but uh okay read read we've gotten a little heady okay all right we, a little, yes. we got we get we've gotten a little silly Okay, I need to rein you in a little bit because, <laughs> okay. uh, uh, Lackey, my friend, lest we forget, we, okay, this is your baby here. We're a horror show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, if it's gory, if it's gross, if it causes you a fright, well, that just means it's time for the part of the show that we call That Ain't Right. Sure as hell ain't right. <laughs> okay. So this I don't um I actually have one that would would usurp this, but you called mm. it out and it does at least feel worth noting. I mean it's it's pretty wild that the movie tilts this direction when mm. Mama Ritter says, I see how you look at that little girl. I mean yes. that's yeah. For nineteen eighty one primetime yeah. television. Yes. Absolutely. So, you know, we can put a pin there to return to or not as, as time permits or, or interest uh, uh, compels, but partly it's just like, wow, I, I kind of can't believe you did that. But I think for me, there's a, there's a, there's some decent stuff in here, but possibly top of the list is for me is the image of Bubba's terrified eyes under the scarecrow mm-hmm. mask. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that is rough. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. That is yeah. rough. And, and, you know, kind of enters that, that sort of, that ain't right zone. That's less jokey, more psychologically traumatizing sort of territory. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, that's mm-hmm. for me, that, that would be kind of top of my list. What, what would, what's one you would pick? Man, there's, there's so many. And we normally, when we're, engaging with the subject of that ain't right 
you know, we normally go for pretty, I don't know if bombastic is the right word, but pretty overt things. But this film's biggest that ain't rights are all very, very subtle. They're just extremely subtle. You mentioned Bubba's eyes through there. Um, and of course, <laughs> pick a scene that, uh, Otis Hazelrig is in and basically something ain't right is happening. Like just pick a scene, but immediately following their blatant execution, which by the way, no, no cause, no reason. They have no reason whatsoever to be doing what they're doing. They're complete. The sheriff did call for volunteers to try to find him, but they completely bypassed that and just went on their own. But shortly after his terrified eyes that you mentioned, then the the imagery, one of the first things that kind of got to my boy when we watched this is um, when they killed him. Just the, the repeated fire of the gunshots, uh, his body limping yeah, on, the, on the post. Um, it's not a terribly graphic image. There's some blood. You see the bullet wounds, but it's, it's not. Of course, it was made for TV, so they had to keep that somewhat restrained but um it's really really messed up just the the bald-faced execution of this poor helpless guy and and then of course you can call it out for manipulative timing if you want to but man i think it works it works so well of course right after that they get the radio call and that haunting fantastic oh that haunting line that the guy over the radio says is just like funny thing is bubba saved her life and the look on each of those men's faces when they realized not only did they execute an innocent man, they executed that poor girl's protector and savior. Oh, my God. It's just it, – it takes the film to a new level at freaking 20 minutes in where you're just like, holy cow. Um, and even acclimated to horror the way we are, you still get this – even thinking like, oh, man, they're going to get their comeuppance. Even still, the moment is just like a big – for me, still just like a big, thick rock in your stomach, just like, oh my God. But to conclude the moment of that ain't right, and then maybe we can do a couple of these if you if you have more. Um, to cement the that ain't right is that when they realize what they've done, Otis Hazelrig grabs that pitchfork and goes and puts it oh, in in yeah, his dead body hands. dead body's hands. Uh, you know, they need no dialogue. You know right there they are going to make a case for self-defense when they just cold-blooded executed this helpless poor man. And um, it's powerful. It's really, it's a really good thing. It's a good thing this only happens in the movies. Um, yeah, and the line <laughs> over the wow. radio is, um, I'm just, you know, just what? Just, no what? lies detected. Uh, no it's just lies a movie. Detected. Just a movie, right. Um, old Bubba saved her life. Ain't that a laugh? And you're mm-hmm. you're right. I mean, it is. Because what's interesting and, and sort of, impressive about the movie is we the viewer having observed Bubba and Mary Lee suspect that or no okay he he didn't harm her um right, right but you also don't know or you know for those of us who didn't see it when we were 1 years old uh <laughs> don't know <laughs> or when it phantom repeated on CBS I know well, um, whenever that was uh we don't know that she survives yeah. So there is sort of a presumption up to that point when he's playing hide and seek out there, uh, playing the hiding game, that maybe she hasn't survived. So it's it's not just, mm-hmm. oh man, she's going to make it. It's his act is the reason she's going to make it, and yes. we have just taken him out. Yeah. It's it's 
it's like it's, epically tragic. Um, yeah, it it really is. Um, do you have another? We can volley a little bit here. I have a couple other things that I sure. I mean, this is a show. pretty uh, uh, well, I'll okay, I'll name a a, a slightly heavier one and then a, a funny one to me. But I I really didn't see. I mean. I guess it's my fault. Uh, you know, fool me once, fool me twice kind of thing. I didn't see all, you know, Karen, the mailman turning up the gas in Mrs. Ritter's house. I was like, yeah, damn dude. Damn. I mean, we are, this is what we call tripling down. Oh Uh, yeah. You know? Oh yeah. So there's that one. And then the super, super light one that I'm pretty sure I'm not taking from you, but I just thought was like funny, but also, I want to think is intentional because it's actually that good of a touch. But when Hazelrig kills Skeeter when they're out at the graveyard, oh sure, um, yeah, pops him with the shovel in the back of the head. When he comes up, that that old red plaid cap is stuck to the shovel. The like, hat is oh, <laughs> the hat is there. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> it's one of those just like okay, now you guys just effing yes. with me kind of bits. Yes. You know? Yes, You're like, yes. Okay, oh my god, we're so, really yes selling it here <laughs> it's such a wonderful touch though it's such a sure, wonderful touch yeah. um, and you know that actor is turned over in that thing and as soon as hazel rig brings it down he he just stamps it to the shovel and it comes yeah, yeah. it's got some spirit gum he's like yeah, hey, yeah. quick quick <laughs> they worked oh, hard man. to get that shot <laughs> oh man it's so great it's so great well um there are so i so i have three more that i want to i don't know that, oh, wow. okay. that, that they all would be considered that ain't right but i just i i can't Oh man, I have actually more than that that I could mention in, you know, just glancing past. But um first big one I'm going to mention is uh the scene. Oh my god, like the moment when every time I watch this movie, my energy just begins to escalate um is when uh, Lane Smith, what is what is his name? I'm forgetting the uh, uh, character's th- name. I feel like there's a reference because I wrote all the names down. He's Harless via IMDb, but someone oh. references Hawker. I'm not totally Hawker. sure. So Hawker is his IMDb last name. IMDb says Harless. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay. Hawker is his last name, I think. Um, Harless a- Hawker, that's a name. <laughs> Harless Hawker. <laughs> Somebody coughed when they were writing the birth certificate. <laughs> that's what it came out. Okay, Harless Hawker, got it. Um, yep, yep. But the scene, again, my energy just rises. When he and his wife, his wife is looking out there, brilliant bit of scripting. She's like, Harless, are you planting? And he's like, yeah. what? what are you talking about? And and you ever know me to plant this time of year? And she's like, no. And he's like, well, what? And she's like, I just thought it was odd. If you're not planting, why'd you put up a scarecrow? And I'm just like, oh my God. It's just. Meanwhile, it's- again, this is how well constructed the film is. Meanwhile, while that conversation is happening, it's all one shot. It's not cutting away. He right. is sharpening the thresher that's going to be his demise. Oh, yes. I mean, that's a great. Bit. Oh, yes. Yeah. It, uh, on that note, again, you talk about the film's construction. Each of them have scenes earlier with what ultimately undoes them. He's sharpening the thresher. Um, uh, Claude Earl Jones. God, I'm forgetting. I'm, I'm remembering their actor's name. Yeah, Philby is his name. I remember their actor's name and not their character's name. But Claude Earl Jones is running the silo. You know what I did read? I wrote both of them down. Just FYI. Do some homework, okay? Come prepared. (laughs) Fine. That's fair. That's fair. Um, But uh, he's running the grain silo that that, that eventually takes his life. And uh, we'll get to it later. But, you know, uh, well, uh, actually, I wasn't referencing Skeeter necessarily when I was doing this, but uh, Otis, of course, his ultimate demise, like we saw him with it earlier, which again, I think that 
I think that ending is brilliant. We'll get there in a second. Um, but the other, what? The, what are you referring to? Uh, the pitchfork. Um, that oh, he, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but I will say that like the moment that asked that caused my son to ask to turn it off is Philby's death. So that's my next sort of that ain't right mention. Um, that's when oh. he. Yeah, that's when he asked to turn it off. It was a couple of things. Number one, it was the uh, the light that just very quickly went off, but you don't see a soul in there. Like, you know, oh, the, yeah, the yeah, light yeah. gets turned off. So that's the creep factor. In the it's office. A, in the office, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Supremely dreadful. But then uh, just the thought of how he's dying was, was so, kind of... So unsettled. let me get this right. Okay, just sort of... Mm-hmm friend to friend right here yes. so yeah, so yeah, yeah. your son your son waves the white flag when the four vigilante you know country boys are murdering the other in their midst and you're like no 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 it's good <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not, right, right it's not until the pig farmer drowns in the silo that you finally mm-hmm. relent you're like okay yeah. fine kid yeah, fine <laughs> go, go to bed it's, it's interesting though because like he's crying i think it's because of the deaths, it's the one that we see the most of. It's still not a sure. graphic death in the sense of like gory or net, but sure. you see him coughing up the dust, like you see it rise up, his hand on top of the silo and everything. It's still like it's just disturbing to to think about. Um yeah. the uh I just think it's funny that you ignored the the Yeah the needs yeah. of your child. Well, no, no, he didn't ask beforehand. <laughs> he just kind of was like, Whoa, but it, the, you know, I, I relented pretty much the first time he asked. Um, and it was at that Philby death scene. But, All right, let me throw one in. You mentioned yes, three. You're yeah, like, yeah. just pull, take them all off the board here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love and am equally petrified by the like sequence of extreme close ups of the garden gnomes. I'm like, oh, <laughs> we are, we are doing this. I'm like, oh I'm my like, God, okay. now I'm scared. You know, I get it. Like, <laughs> Believe yes. me, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> like whoa dark night I mean, of the scarecrow for real the dark night dark night of the dark garden night gnome the garden yeah. gnomes yard gnome. wow. uh but yeah that oh, was man. tough G- give me another one you got some more okay loaded. Uh, i do i have a couple more uh, like these would almost go into a that so right would almost go into that so right uh two lines from Marilee in two separate scenes first one of course she's sitting out there singing at night after she's just been told by bubba's mother that he's gone and then when she is singing, looks right up at Bubba's mother and is just like, Bubba's not gone. He's just being silly. He's playing the hiding game. I was like, oh, <laughs> cool. Like, it's just it's really, really chilling. But then almost topping it is when old Hazelrig is questioning her and she says, I know what you did to Bubba. Yeah, and, then, was, and then, yeah. yeah and then, and, but my, like, where he's like, Bubba, she's like, Bubba told me. And he said, Bubba didn't tell you that. He's dead. And she just looks and kind of slants her head and said, I know. I'm like, oh my god! It's just, oh, I just, I'm sorry. I just love it. I, I love those little subtle, unsensationalized touches that just have a very creepy undertone to them. It's really, it's very effective for me. Um, so yeah, and I mean the last. So thing Reed, what's that, what's you know that feel like these are that ain't right. I'm gonna cut you off here. Uh, sure. What's sure. the worst? What's the worst way to go? I mean, like you know, drowned by dry goods. You know, pulped on the thresher. Gutted oh, by God. the pitchfork, uh, domed by the by the shovel. Yeah, I, I mean, you know I think what? I'm go gonna pick domed by the shovel. You know, you like, think domed by the shovel is the worst way to go? I don't. 
Okay, well, I guess worst. Maybe what I said is maybe what I should have asked and what I was answering the question is what what would you pick? Like, oh, you, if you're like you got to pick one of these, maybe yes. down by the shovel because then I don't see it coming. It is what it is, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm out one before or two I hit strikes. the floor. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although for me, I got a large head. It need to be a big shovel, so you know, <laughs> just <laughs> and if you're laying, wise. and if you're laying claim, if I can't also pick dome to the shovel, I'm I'm going with the pitchfork <laughs> on that. Like, I don't want to drown in the really? grain. Ooh. I don't want to get. I don't want to get ground yeah. up in the thresher because, brother, Ugh. he fell. He fell feet first uh, into that uh, thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the one. See, yeah. that's that's the yeah. thing. when you realize yeah. that he fell feet that, first into that thing. It's like, yeah. okay, no, no, thank you. That's gonna take a minute. <laughs> yeah. Now you're short. Won't take too long. That's gonna wow. take me a minute. I don't want that experience. <laughs> <laughs> if I go in head first, then maybe not that bad, but still, like, oh sure. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the it. psychological trauma on the way down is the worst, though. That's <laughs> you're like, it. that's why the oh. shovel is the best. You know, yes. I don't want to know. Just no. Just shovel me. is clock me. Skeeter got the easiest yes. of all of them. He did. Uh, yeah, he did. No joke. You know what? No, I'm gonna pick the gas explosion. <laughs> that's what I'm. Because she just she Mama Rita, Mama Rita, oh, Mama Rita had a heart attack and just well. Went, you know. Well, that's but, true. That's true. Yeah, she just yeah, went. yeah. She deserved to go huh. peacefully though. I mean, I wouldn't call what she do- what happens to her peaceful, but quick. Sure. But she she was gone. She was she was yeah. Um. And 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 gracefully so that she didn't suffer because he he would certainly have tormented her even longer than that. But um, but listen, man, I uh, so I don't know if we want to pop out of that ain't right to do this. No, I don't think we should. We should just leave this here. You were gonna do what? Yeah, no, there was the the way Otis Hazelrig dies from a writing story construction stamp. It's perfect. It is to, in my mind. I think it is absolutely. Perfect, because when the tractor is after him, and you know that oh nobody's sitting in the tractor or whatever, it's like as paranormal as the movie has gotten up to that point. You're like oh nobody's sitting up in the tractor, what's going to happen? And it's like the tractor is kind of going after him, and you keep thinking okay he's going to fall down, it's going to thresh. That's where my mind would go is just like okay he's going to fall down, that's going to be the end of it. But then for him to turn around, and when he turns around for that that because he never saw the scarecrow. I don't know if you had picked up on. All the rest of them had seen oh, it. Yeah, well, yeah, except yeah. for Skeeter. All the rest of them had seen it before their untimely demise. He had not seen it yet. But the moment he sees it is when he runs into and it's holding the pitchfork that he put into his hands to frame him for um, you know, the self-defense plea and everything. I think that is a perfect bit of story synchronicity. I think it is absolutely perfect. Um, and I just uh, almost, I don't want to put it in that ain't right because it's almost to that. So right. I think it's so, well, so wonderful. I would agree that on a certain philosophical level, it's that so right. But you know, the thought of yeah. running into a pitchfork, it just sort of gutting you right there on the spot. I don't know about you, but it would make me squirm. It, it'd make me wince. It, I don't know if it'd make me squint my eyes real tight or they'd bug out, but it was, you know, regardless of whatever it would make me do, it would be able to be called around here. That ain't right. That sure as hell ain't right. <laughs> so perfect. Find, it takes me a minute to find my way there, but, you know, I'll get there. But there, Hey, you get there. Yeah, yeah that's all right. Could be your uh, could be your tagline, your promotional tagline. What? No, no, I don't know. It's too oh, long. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> takes me a minute to get there, but I'll get there. That's oh. that's what I was thinking. Mm. It's just like, mm. no, mm. has has different ramifications that you don't want. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. Oh, I man. Mean, uh, that's, that's 
Let's not follow that one any farther. <laughs> no, um, no. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> what are, you, are you waiting for me? Are you you got something? Well, what I want to give you some runway. This is this is your lackey leftover. You know, you here's well popped it in the microwave and warmed it up. Well, I will tell you this, and I say this with a full heart. I love sharing this movie with people, so I I think I'm actively trying to like you know I have something that could prompt us if you have nothing, but I'm really curious to hear more of your thoughts about this film. Like, was it something that you watched and you were just like, oh, that was great, and and that be the end of it, or did you think of anything further? Has it lodged in your memory at all um, since you've seen it? Uh, so yeah, I'm actually eager to hear just more of your thoughts about it. And, and there's there's a very very obvious theme over top of it that you touched on before we went into the that ain't right segment but um but Don't no i'm just collect garden gnomes that's it that's the yep. moral message done um D- done <laughs> um i mean I-, I think that it's wild to ponder you know what uh it's weird the longer you live the more the movies start happening in real life you're like huh man okay didn't see that one mm coming um and i say that i said actually let me let me not uh do an injustice here to to history um it is hard to watch now the movie doesn't make a choice based on race of bubba but does make a choice based on clear otherness and suspicion of the other and uh presumption of of guilt and inherent bias as it relates yeah. to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I, I seriously caught myself there because I, and anyone who wants to be a conscious adult in, you know, the modern world should, should study even the, the faintest scent of relatively recent American history and, and beyond America. But uh, as it relates to those who are primarily located here, that the image of four, unthreatened mm-hmm. i can say this you can back me up if you want four unthreatened armed vigilante style white men perpetrating uh their own form of quote-unquote justice towards I, I mean it is it is difficult these aren't uh i'm not working for this stuff but yeah, when sure. you watch this and the name that pops in your brain is Ahmad Arbery in Georgia, yeah. uh, you know, uh, th- that's the most direct analog that I came up with. But the ground is littered with uh, the bodies of broken people, uh, yeah. broken yeah. not by the rule of law, but by the rule of vigilante justice perpetrated by, you know, uh, folks who decided that their bloodlust was more important than the life of the person they were, you know, hunting. I mean, hunting, right? Like, yes, actively. hunting, right? Um, yeah, of course. And and so I, I I said a second ago, you know, pay a little attention, like like, uh, or what I was trying to falsely say is, wow, look at this movie from 1981, and isn't it weird that stuff like that happens today? It's been happening forever. Yeah, and, of course. And in in our country has typically typically a uh, a racial undertone to it a racial right, component right. to it um i mean read it uh, you i don't know if you asked for me to run off of the mouth but no, um, no i did invite it when i when i started 
more diligently following and and sort of enmeshing myself in the work of EJI and and there are this is probably not even hard to find if you looked for it online, but there are photos of, uh, think like, so I live in a little, a little pocket outside Charlotte technically. I mean, we still kind of refer to it as Charlotte, you know, the broader Mm. Charlotte Mm. metropolitan area, but this little town we live in, there's always postings of like, you know, the, uh, the festival, you know, it's, Oh, it's, it's our town's little festival thing. Think like that. Yeah. But the event and the going on was lynchings. Mm. Like, like there are photos of crowds gathered, not in the dark of night. Yeah, of course. In, in the open daylight with vendors to watch the lynching, you know, so, so kind of reversing course on myself of two minutes ago of just saying, Oh, isn't it weird that this is an echo of what happened today? This has been happening forever. And, you know, we kind of spit on, those whom God loves when we, as I just did pretend that this is some modern sort of experience of, you know, uh, America. And, and I, I want to at least leave my diatribe here, uh, because I think the brilliance of this movie is in, I just made reference to the actual, not the theoretical, the actual hung, broken, burned, shot, drug bodies that, typically in our uh cultural dynamic white people have perpetrated against uh their black and brown brothers and sisters so i i I speak of that in the real that is a real thing i am not in what i'm about to say trying to diminish the truth of the reality of the tragedy and the grievous nature of the loss uh that we should all recognize what i do want to highlight though is the brilliance of this movie is not Let's watch Candyman take out the crackers. Yeah. It is. Let's watch what happens when the rot we've willfully injected into our souls, Mm -hmm. we find that we are being eaten. Mm. Not by not by the vengeful spirit of the one we've whose life we've taken, whose life we've taken, but by the act and fact of our having taken it. Like that yeah. is the brilliance of this particular movie and, and why the choice to not have, you know, bloodied Bubba in scarecrow garb haunting right. and murdering these dudes is so powerful. I mean, just yes. to be real yeah. candid mm-hmm. is the, the thing, you know, it, it's, it's the ability to sleep at night uh, is now mm-hmm. lost because we know we did a terrible thing. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, I, I want to give you a chance to speak, but I remember watching the mama Ritter scene the her passing. Yeah. And I was like, dude, this, um, what I wrote down is, um, when you lie once you have to lie again to keep it up and yes. then you have to lie again to keep it up. And then you have mm-hmm. to lie again to keep it up. I joke sometimes on the show, Reed, it's my own neurosis. I should probably have some therapy regarding it, but I have a really hard time like fibbing or falsifying to kind yeah. of anyone, especially my kids. I'm in a sales environment. I am, I always am working hard to be like, okay, you know, so and so and so colleague just outright, you know, fudged the truth. I don't mean like is some oh, sure. offensive yeah. lie, hmm. but you know, sales, it's, it's about, 
let me persuade you into making a yeah. transaction. And so mm -hmm. there are times when the temptation to fudge a thing to in order to achieve that goal is very real and very present. And so even in that space, I work very hard to just be like, no, I'm just going to speak candidly and let the you know facts of the scenario and ideally Nathan Nathan's charming personality uh, be mm -hmm. the, the thing that turns the tide. So my point is simply like, uh, does that mean Nathan's never told a lie? Absolutely not. That's not the point. The point is, right. uh, for whatever reason, I've got a bit of an allergy to it. Uh, uh, and I thank God that's the case because you watch, I mean, good Lord, dude, like you, it, it is, it is obvious, visible and ever present just in, in the positions of power in our, you know, country and in our heck in our pulpits, you know, in our churches yeah. that, yeah. that, you know, the, it just creates this bigger and bigger snowball until you're stuck and you end up setting Mama Ritter's house on fire, <laughs> you know, just to, yeah. yeah, just to keep the cover up going because you can't be found out. Well, so, let me, yeah. let yeah. me, let, let me yes and you there about the escalation of who becomes expendable. Um, because at first you identify the threat. And the threat's expendable, and you've otherized the threat, so so they take Bubba out because reasons. They, you know, I'm I'm not actually saying that as if the film doesn't substantiate it. I think the film does a great job of substantiating why they take Bubba out, but they kill Bubba, and then the next point is you've got to take out the people that are close to him and care about him, and that's Mama, and you you're talking about the lies and covering up the lies. And if you're going to continue to escalate your lies, more and more people have to either be on board in supporting the lie or they have to move out of the way. And you move from Bubba to Bubba's mother, didn't do anything and didn't pose any direct threat to them, but she's a liability now because she cared for him. And, and then who's the next one that Otis Hazelrig takes out? His friend. He, take, he takes right. out the one that's right beside Skeeter. him. And, and, and then... Who does he take out? And I'm, again, I'm yes anding, building on that. Who does he take out? He takes out himself. He's the one runs right into his own demise. I mean, yeah, you could pick Nit, you know, and my language right there, you could say like, well, yeah, he didn't position the scarecrow there and he didn't do whatever else. But yeah, I mean, like that's the escalation that this film, whether intentional or not, builds upon that. It's like once you begin otherizing a person, I think it's astute that when we bring up the synonyms to racial injustice that we see uh this film is does not have a racial component but that otherizing is the same thing it's it's right oh, along yeah. the same lines and so they've otherized this man and then they have to take out his family and then when their conscience isn't cleared on that front they have to take out the people closest to them and then ultimately uh, they they succumb to the infected to the infectious poison of their own lies and their own cover ups. I love at first at first I would have in in days past I might have characterized this as a ding or I might have characterized this as a oh maybe this is a loose thread that the film doesn't really address. But I actually love that the DA is continually seeking evidence and it just never it never resolves. You know, like he he's looking yeah. for evidence uh, after. Hawker dies, you know, he's escorting Hawker's widow uh, to the station. After Mama Rita dies, he's investigating the ruins of the, you know, the uh, of her charred out house. But it, it that's not how this is well, all 
undone. Brother Lackey, you know? that's because there's other justice in this world besides the law. God, I love that. There's line. witchcraft. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I love that. I love that line. I, I, I don't mean to disrupt if you had another place you were going to go, but God, I love that line. I love the way she delivers it. And I just love the simplicity of it. There's other justice in this world besides the law. And I just, it's powerful in the context of this film. It's very powerful. Well, and it's funny. You, you, you made me think of this when you said, I think it's clearly motivated why they take out, uh, Baba. What, what would you say is the answer to that question? Well, I guess it's clearly motivated that Otis Hazelring has Otis Hazelrig has painted Bubba as a danger to Marilee, therefore a danger to the community at large. Okay. And I'm that's why they step further because I okay. think I think it's more subtle than that. I think mm. the the because on its face you're absolutely right. Um yeah. but I think the deeper more sort of uh, you know, figure out what you want to do with this aspect to it is when Mama Ritter says, "I know uh, what what's her line." Um, uh, yeah. yeah, I know. Uh, shoot, only thing you f- official s- you ever did is lick stamps. I'm just kidding. That's not the line. I'm <laughs> no, I she I says, did. "I see the way you look at that girl." Yes. I remember that. So it's yeah. not about we're worried about Bubba's attitude towards Marilee. Sure, it's, yes, yes. Marilee is an object of fascination for him. Yes. And and yep. where I'm going with this is simply often the the violence we perpetrate is less again has less to do with who is on the receiving end of that violence. Like it's not about Bubba in this story. Right. Right. It's about one effed up inside uh, you know interior mm-hmm. of of Otis Hazelrig and yes. his predilections uh at least that's what it seems to be suggesting through her line there. Yes. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And and the fact that Otis is, I'm sorry, that Bubba is a confidant, uh, a, a mm-hmm. you know, a, a grown person who's yeah. receiving that from her. That affection. I mean, it's, right. right. Yeah. And that attention. So, yeah. And uh, clearly he's, I, I'm going to call it uh, perverted just simply because it, I sure. think the film frames it that way. That's the, shortest through line. Um, but yeah, it's that jealousy that drives him. Not only that, I'm fascinated by Hazel Riggs continued illusion of authority. You know, you said the line in passing that Mama Rita hurls at him, but I love it. The only thing official you ever did was lick stamps, you know, like, uh, actually is that mama Hazel Rig that said, or is that mama Ritter Ritter that says, um, the only thing official you ever did was lick stamps. Yeah. Cause he says, I'm here for, uh, we're here for official business. Um, and it's that illusion of authority. Um, here's what I find really, there's so many things I find interesting about this movie. God, I love this movie. Um, but uh, they believe, not Otis. I think Otis is, I think Otis has deceived himself or maybe worse, he has not deceived himself. He is just protecting himself. I don't know that he has any self-deception going on. I think Skeeter, Harless, and Philby do have deception going on i think they've been roped in to otis's way of thinking yes. because he's been convincing to them that bubba is dangerous and that bubba is is a threat um but it's that maintenance of you know the the illusion of authority because i'm acting on behalf of the greater good because i'm acting on behalf of something that that uh should happen but acting very very quickly and rashly i mean it's it's 
alarming to me how many people want to violate due process um, for so many of these, even if they do have a valid concern. But again, it goes back to otherizing. Even if they do have a valid concern, a valid uh, fear, or, or, or they're, they're just driven too much by their own motivations, their own jealousies, their own intentions, um, and so they, but they want to subvert and violate due process to just cut right to the chase um, because they believe they act on a higher authority. They believe they act on some different authority. Um, and that I also find interesting about this movie is that Otis is a, a postal worker. I mean, is the postal worker an important... I'm not sitting on this podcast devaluing postal workers, but they are not harbingers of doling out uh, justice to, you know, they, they can't arrest anybody. <laughs> they can't bring anybody in um, and subject them to uh, a, a court of law. That's not power that they've been given. Um, but so many people feel that because the cause is something they've convinced themselves and others is worth them claiming more authority than they actually have or than they actually have been given, and then they continue to transact things on that basis of false authority. And even more, even more than that, um, that they're transacting things that are ultimate authority by cl- taking this life. Uh, they are doing things beyond just the authority of the law. They're acting with the authority of heaven, you know, uh, to to take him. Yeah, out. but I, I I think there was a there was a weird revelation for me that happened a few years ago, and just some of the reading I was doing, be it Stevenson or how the word was passed, uh, Clint Smith, and and amongst others, but but those are emblematic of 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 that or representative of that type of text, and yeah. where. You know, you say they're acting on higher authority, like you can't read some of these texts and not perceive that there's a a moralism that gets bought into. I, yeah. I won't even call it a defect because a defect implies a dent got made. I would call it the default like that mm-hmm. to. So so flashback, you know, 400 years, whatever that. Uh, not 400 years, 200 years, uh, civil war era, slave era, that the, the work that had to be done systemically Mm -hmm. to, to permit us to not have to do the work individually to get ourselves over the cognitive and spiritual horizon line, that it's okay to perpetrate the oppression and violence we perpetrate. Like, yeah, there, there is a, a systemic default that sets in that, that, makes it so I don't have to work either way to buy in on it. And so when you say they think they're working on higher authority, I I don't think they do. I think to them, um, and I want to speak specifically here because I actually think uh, I'm not trying to let Hawker, Philby and Skeeter off the hook. I am trying to say to me, those three are more the good old boys who just kind of went along with their buddy. It is, I think, but though they would still buy into this systemic thing. I'm trying to point to Hazel rig is the, the, kind of mercenary, if you will, the vigilante here, if you will, who yeah. to him, Bubba isn't, uh, it's not a higher power because that would mean Bubba is a human, a full human. Oh, I right? see where you're going. Okay. This is where yes, I'm trying to get to is, yeah. is I don't think, um, you know, it, it is, it is the, I, in the same way, read that last night when, uh, my wife and two oldest daughters are screeching, running through the kitchen. Cause there's a, giant roach running across the floor. I just stomp on it. I don't overly think of myself as an arbiter of heavenly justice. When I do that is that's the point a I'm very good analogy. Yes. You know, very it's like good to, analogy. to, yes. to Otis Hazelrig, 
there, there's probably a twinge of it, you know, just because it is a yeah. physical human, right. but or a physical adult male human, but um, it, it is not. I am, I am, I am disobeying conscience and uh, a morality to do this. Right. Um, yes. It, it is. It is much more. Uh, just, just, well, De- I mean, dehumanizing. I've, I've been, he's been looking for a reason. Yes, it is. It is yes. dehumanizing. He had already right. long since dehumanized Bubba, if it ever was even a conscious choice or thought. And, yeah. and I do, you know, before some of the other elements, like the, the theme that yelled at me from this, or at least one of the, you know, that's kind of enmeshed in here is just our, our bloodlust for those we've decided are our enemies. Like yeah. you yeah. watch them going after Bubba and, and the minute now I, this is my first time seeing it. So I hear the hiding game. I'm not, I'm not even connecting the hiding game to the title of the movie, the scarecrow. Like I'm not thinking about it at all. Yeah, of course. And once they stumble on it, I was like, this is terrible. I don't know what's about to happen, but, but you know, just, just the fact that one, uh, and, and I, I keep thinking of, and, and, um, there's a world where probably not necessarily our listeners, but someone who was uh, a third party who just, you know, uh, consumed all of our material in a go would be like, Nathan thinks everything is about race. It's like, well, <laughs> you know, yes. <laughs> uh, many of the bad things in this country uh, do have their foundation and firmament in that sad strain of our past and history and present even. Um, and, you know, so I, I keep thinking about that, but the, the, the fact that, Mama and Bubba needed, yeah, yep, a shorthand for they're going to come after you. Yes, yeah. This is what you got to do when that happens. Yep, you know, and that that's what it was because bless his heart, Bubba's not uh, intellectually savvy enough to understand it all, other than the fact that he doesn't want to be hurt. So it it gets turned into something playful, you know. Yeah, but but yeah. nonetheless, you know, you can you can find analogies all over history of, you know, the, the need to be secret in the presence of abused authority, you know? Yeah. Um, well, you make an astute observation though, the fact that, and I think it's a really good analogy. I, I'm grateful for it. The, that, um, they have long since viewed him as less than human. Therefore it's not even, and I, yeah. I think this is very helpful to understand their actions, that it's not even that they, um, are saying, hey, we're going to make a conscious choice to do what we think is right. It's regretful that this is the decision, but they've just they've just decided. Yep. And it's only in the awareness that Bubba had saved that girl's life, he immediately becomes humanized to them. And yep. in a somewhat powerful moment, the, the conscience choice that uh, is then made is when Otis decides to put the pitchfork in his hand. But that's not a choice that they feel they're acting on authority. They're acting on self-preservation at that moment. Yeah, um, that's the lie but, to cover the lie. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I do think that's a, a really uh, a effective analog like you with a with a roach or with a, a, a fly, a bug, anything. It's like, okay, yeah, that's how when you dehumanize someone, that's how you see them. And so you think nothing of their demise. And that's why it can get so offensive. I'm using the word offensive to people who have dehumanized whole subsets of other human beings. Um uh, it, it would be really weird in the analogy that you used. It would be really weird to pat yourself on the back for choosing instead of killing the bug to set the bug free. Like 
if you pat yourself on the back for that and be like, oh, look at that. I, I, I showed, um, you know, benevolence. But that's kind of what they do, right? When you've dehumanized a whole subgroup of people and then you're nice to them and you are friendly or at all, I don't think, I, I don't think bad about any of them. I have, you know, they're friends of mine. You're still not thinking of them as image bearers of Almighty God as equivalent to you in terms of needs and and deserving of rights, and you, you're still not thinking of them that way. Right. Um, it's just it's just a fascinating interplay uh, on that. Just to think of it in that subject, I think the bug analogy is is um, a really very good one. And I mean, in terms of I I come away from a conversation like this and recognize that maybe it is a deficiency when people want to talk about racism and the difficulty that we have crossing the bridge because, and I've, I've witnessed it, I've had conversations like this where people have difficulty engaging their privilege, people have difficulty engaging the conversation of inequities and, and disparities uh, among races and classes, especially races. Uh, they have difficulties bridging those gaps because um, they have a lot of friends, or they can point to individuals who, well, that bucks the trend, right? That that buck, that's the exception, right over there. So they can't address what you and I are talking about here, where it is like, no, when you've otherized and dehumanized an entire subgroup of people, then you've really lost the conversation. You've lost the plot on how to make sure that we truly enter into something that is equitable and uh, open opportunities for everyone not just equal um but also just like truly you've leveled the playing field and you've made it to where because i mean that's going to take not only work it's going to take time um it helps me to understand why that's such a hard bridge to cross it doesn't necessarily give me more sympathy towards the, the the gap that exists but it helps me to understand why it's such a wide gap that needs to be crossed which i find helpful uh for myself but Anyway, I'm I'm rambling now at this point, but I don't know That's if right. you had any immediate immediate responses to that. No, I mean I think I just think it's a it's just a powerful text, and you know I mean, I, I yeah I I, I kind of can't get away from the the wisdom it displays in again I've said it this will at least be the third time in in different ways, but you know it's not about Bubba getting revenge. Yeah. It's about our, our cancerous hearts and, and you know, the, the things we've bought into that let us off the hook. Yeah. Previously, at least for perpetrating yeah. against whatever the Bubba is in our paradigm and scenario. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it's a, I, I think it holds up so remarkably well. This is the this is the rare kind of film that I think you could probably. I mean, it's a little mature in places um, thematically, but in terms of just direct content, I think you could pretty much show it to anybody. Um, and there's more in its text that you could mine and come away from. It sat in my imagination for decades. Um, after only this, one viewing, this is the this is the kind of movie that uh, uh, continuity guru Stephen Beckley uh, should show to his group at his church because yes, it's, it's just got that, you know, um, it's it's not 
overboard and what it is showing, but it also is very direct and honest about what yes. it's after. Um, yeah. and, and I think it's worthy of discussion. It's worthy of no. viewing for the purpose of discussion. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, uh, I think it's really effective and it does my heart good to know that you enjoyed it. Like, uh, to know that you, to know that you really liked it very much. Um, well, I just think it's because we, you, you alluded to this earlier and, and maybe uh, for me, my final note, but just the, like it works as a morality play, mm-hmm. but the, the, I mean, that ending is just a fantastic, like tie in a bow on the whole oh, yeah. project of just like, Oh snap. <laughs> this is kind of scary, isn't it? Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. And, and it's just a real expert way to, to end the film. No, I think, I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And I mean, just, yeah, it's so difficult. It is so difficult to find even among horror films that I love. It's so difficult to find one where the ending is perfect, but this is one of those rare, rare instances where I was like, this is a perfect ending. I can't think of any better way to conclude this story um, than, uh, than that. And, and so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to have shared the film with you. I'm excited to have had the opportunity to talk about it. Um, and now I can reference it and you'll know what I'm talking about when I do reference it. But yeah, it's, it's, it, it has stayed with me for all these years. And I feel like maybe my final note, I feel like we've only just, uh, begun to scratch the surface of, the complexities, well, no, scratch the surface of the ramifications of its moral conscience to scenarios that are comparable to it in our life and time today. Um, I think that's why. There are times when I just want to be like, let him with eyes to see and ears to hear, hear it. Like, it, yeah, I don't know yeah. how to, I'm sorry, I didn't actually mean to cut you off. No, I was trying no, to, yeah. I feel like uh, amplify the point you're making, which is, you know, if you watch this and can't, feel it uh yeah yeah i don't i don't know <laughs> i don't know, don't know what to tell you at that point yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> don't know what to tell you at that point and i think that's and i think that is why it is it has the staying power that it's had i think that's why it's still being discussed i mean my lord how many made for tv films over time have just been lost to the wind of everything but the fact that something that aired in 1981 is still being discussed uh, and now has had like this rediscovery and this resurgence, um, I think again speaks to its power. And I, I feel like it's a film that everybody that, you know, this uh, Halloween, if you've never seen this film, like it is. Yeah. It is be a deserving. Good, good yeah. one to add to the mix. Absolutely. Um, so uh, kind of raising us back into the surface before we go to fog meter, um, this is this is the first. It's it's a whole subgenre now, but this is uh, on record the first in either print or film form uh, monster scarecrow. Like this, this is the first time that somebody viewed in the horror genre a scarecrow as an opportunity for fear and everything like that. I mean, hmm. yes. I mean, if I only had a brain, I don't know, man. I know. That was like I know. In the thirties, you know. No, that was the 30s, but he's not a monster. He's not. Come on. He's not. a. Have you, you know, seen him lately? <laughs> lately? No. He'd be friends <laughs> but, with the scarecrows, the boy who shoots the arrows. Be wow. friends with the sparrows and the boy who shoots the arrows. If you oh only had gosh. a brain. It's a brainless <laughs> character roaming around. Uh, she's going to miss him most of all. Dream world. Like, <sighs> yeah, I always feel so sorry. I mean, for Stock- Stockholm syndrome is a real thing, you know? <laughs> Wow. 
um but no seriously uh we can mm. we can go to fog meter i you know i i love Let's do it. yeah i love this film but uh fog meter is our very specific metric of fear and god wherein we uh dive into the scares and the substance it's not really rating the quality of the films but more their gravity their heft how much they ask of you as a viewer um i'll kick the door down with fear um for me in my inclination, I love its creepy dread. So I'm inclined to say like, oh, this is a, this is an accessible film that anybody can watch. Um, I have been privy to two viewings of this film with friends and family, both times of which, one time we actually had to turn it off. The other time uh, it was like, okay, maybe this is too much. So it, it definitely has a, a heightened scare factor. Uh, so for that, I'm actually, actually going to give it a nine. On the, on oh, the wow. scares. All right. Yeah. I'm going to give it a nine. Um, so what say you, Mr. Rouse? I mean, you know, I come into these without my fog meter predetermined, but <laughs> indeed, I, I honestly think, I think the impressive effectiveness of the movie, despite its quote unquote limitations as uh, a made for television means the innovation has to be higher when, um, you can't go gory and grotesque, you know? And, mm, and so yeah, I think, yeah. I think there's almost a, a boost it gets from the, what you don't see aspect of it. Uh, and, and the, the sort of chilling aspect of what these men do. And because again, it, it's, it's, we, we know anyone who watches this knows they are wrong and you yes. are, you are trying to decide, about their fate in for your own self. Yes. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to go with a nine. I think for me, I'll, I'll steer towards a seven. And then on a subsequent viewing with a loved one, I'll, I'll note how much they squirm <laughs> or don't. And, <laughs> and retroactively <laughs> to see about change that. that. Yeah. 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 Um, what would you give it for the God meter? Um, it feels like it would just be, to be that guy to not give it a 10. I mean, it is mm. very baldly. The, the moralism of it isn't a side thing. It is yeah. Yeah. the piece itself. It doesn't yes. wander into it. It, it, it sets its path straight from go and never blinks from letting, you know, we know these guys are wrong. Let's show it. Let's, let's, Let's ponder together, uh, you know, the fate, the fate of those who have perpetrated heinous yeah. actions towards their neighbor. So, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. It, it, it feels like a 10. A 10. Uh, shocking no one. I'm, I'm a 10 for this film. I feel like, you know, the, the God meter is, is one of our more um, nebulous ratings because uh, my criteria for why I will rank something high is if it has a lot on its mind and conveys that in a very coherent way. Um, it doesn't have to mean that it delivers a specific bumper sticker message, but does it clearly have a lot on its mind and yes. does it explore what it has on its mind in a very coherent way? And I think this is, you know, an unqualified 10 and kind in, of in those criteria. Where does it know, does it know how to explore it? which this does and doesn't know whether to sort of be uh, conclusive or not. And I think right. that's part yeah. of the value of this one is it's, it's pretty conclusive. 
Yeah, 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 I agree. Uh, so I'm going to join you in your 10, and that means that we give Dark Knight of the Scarecrow uh, a 9 out of 10 without any decimal points. It's a 9 out of 10 on uh, the old fog meter. So uh, I, I, I got to be honest, uh, a week ago before I'd watched this, I would not have envisioned <laughs> a 9 out of 10 for Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Yeah, uh, so, yeah it's, the, it's exciting. I will say this, and this is a segue into recommendation. Um, I think there are two things that hold back this film from new viewers if they just stumble upon it. I think thing number one is TV movie. There's an automatic like, oh, okay, well, it's a TV movie and a 1980s TV movie. So whatever. It's going to be cheesy. It's going to be dumb. It's not going to be very good. So I think that's one thing down. Another thing, uh, I mean, just calling a spade a spade, if they see the current cover art for this, the old cover art, the VHS that they eventually put out is just the image of Bubba uh, on the pre-bullet holes of him on the uh, sure. on the post. It's just the image of the scarecrow right there. Very, you know, just a screenshot from the film. Um, but I think the uh, cover art that they have sort of sets you yeah. up for something that looks a, that's a little that. different from the flavor. And I think those are the two bridges you have to cross to getting into this film, but I, I, I'll lead the charge and then ask uh, you on recommendations. Um, clearly, I'm in the camp that recommends this film. I I am eager for people to discover this film. I think it's well worth your time. It's a tight, you know, 95 minutes. Um, it wastes no time. It's very economical. Every scene is interesting. It's never boring. Um, it is a really, really strong film. And this, as we're getting closer to spooky season, if you have never seen one and you're looking for like, I'm just looking for a really good new film that I've never seen yet. Like give dark Knight of the scarecrow a chance would be my vote. Would you also recommend it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, uh, I'm glad to hear that. That's all. <laughs> um, yeah, well, thank you for, um, Joining me on this lackey leftovers. There are a whole bunch of these, but they'll be flavored over over the next, you know, coming years of the show. Um, but thank you very much for indulging me on this one. Absolutely. And maybe, of course, maybe on one of these anniversaries, you know, this is not our anniversary. It's the, you know, couple weeks past now, but maybe on one of these anniversaries, you will remember, hmm, Reed is really eager, really pushing for us to have a conversation about this thing that I don't know anything about and I've never seen it. Maybe, maybe the day will come where you just be like, well, Reed, you know, Reed knows what he's talking about for these kind of things. And then that will be the day that I recommended an absolute dud. Like, not on yeah. purpose, but it'll just, that'll yeah. be the day that you're just like, wow, Reed, really? You pushed for this one? <laughs> you hated um, it, huh? I'll do yeah. better next time. <laughs> <laughs> My next one will be better. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's awesome. Well, okay. So, uh, closing things off, we'll tell people where we're going next week. Next week, we're going into our spooky season. We started a tradition last year that will carry over, hopefully for years to come, uh, where around Halloween, around October specifically, and we are in September right now, but we're ramping up for spooky season, we are going to make our way through a landmark franchise in the horror genre. Last year, we did Halloween at Halloween. This year, if you have not heard our recent episodes, we are doing Screamoween, which means we are going to be moving through each installment of the Scream franchise, the ones that have obviously been released up to this point. Some of them we've already covered. We're going to be recovering those, and that is starting next week. So next week, we are going to be watching Scream 1. 
And we know we already covered Scream, but we're going to have hopefully some new guests and uh, some new conversations emerging around that. So acquaint yourselves with the original classic directed by Wes Craven from 1996, I believe, uh, the very first Scream film. And uh, for the patrons... We're actually doing another uh, fun little thing. Uh, last year, the other tradition that we're carrying over is we're going to be making our way through the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episodes. Just a fun little romp uh, catching up with, uh, you know, because there's like 30 seasons of The Simpsons. We'd have to do like 10 of these, I think, to cover <laughs> all of the episodes of Treehouse of Horror that we have. Um, so uh, last year, I believe we did up through uh, Treehouse of Horror Five, I believe. I believe five is on what we ended on. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, (laughs) you're like I don't know. Um, So, so we'll drop we'll drop a note uh, on the social media feed or maybe to the patrons about exactly which Treehouse of Horror episode to catch up on because I actually need to reacquaint myself and see where we are in that. But next week we will be covering Scream One for everyone. And uh, also the patrons can enjoy more Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. But uh, as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Nathan, thank you again so much for watching this movie and talking about it with me. I appreciate it. Listeners, thank you as well. Sure thing, man. See you guys next week. See you next week, everybody. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media and episode archive, essays, merchandise, and more. If you love what we do, consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast, where you will unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online events, and so much more. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork. Our assortment of talented musicians, Andrew Nelson, the Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes. And to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music. Special thank you also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.